0: Welcome back to Plenty Ideas That Matter. My name is Takeo Kubara. And I'm Dave Leshansky. We are at the end of our series of discussions with faculty members from MIT's Department of Urban Studies and Planning,
1: and we've covered quite a bit of ground. From defining urban science and its use in planning, to robotization, to politics and philosophy, and finally, in our last episode, to a conversation with Gabriella Carolini, on what urban planners most need to consider around context, ethics, and framing questions.
0: In today's episode, we're going to speak with another dust professor whose work offers a different lens through which we can view the emergence of urban science and its impacts on urban planning.
1: That's right.
2: Today, our guest is... Carlo Ratti, I'm professor at MIT. We run a place called Sensible City Lab, where we're passionate about cities and how technology is changing them.
0: Much of Carlo's work is focused on harnessing powerful new technologies and incorporating them into innovative tools and solutions to challenges in the fields of architecture and design.
1: And the work of the Sensible Cities Lab is aimed at creating architecture that quote-unquote senses and responds.
0: The lab's full embrace of finding valuable uses for cutting-edge technology and planning is something we're eager to talk about as so many of our guests have advocated for planners to be somewhat cautious of technological interventions.
1: All seem to agree that technology can be helpful, useful even in certain circumstances.
2: Technology has its role, and so information helps sometimes. Technology
0: really does improve our quality of life. Can we monitor and measure and sense things that are happening among people and collect up this data and then show patterns and things that people didn't know existed? And that's fine, and they're powerful. They're useful. They're helpful. Oh. I think it's all good and true, except for two things.
2: One, you can... Sometimes it, it, it delays processes. Sometimes it confuses... and serves issues. to
1: further alienate people from their labor. Often the distribution of technological improvements is initially and, and potentially for the long term very unequal. And so I think those are all things that we should be critical of.
0: They're insufficient by themselves. So, while every guest reiterated the need to take context into account, many still identified technology as somewhat disparate from understanding this context.
1: And Carlo and the Sensible Cities Lab are focused on harnessing technology's immense potential, capacity, and pervasiveness.
2: One of the first projects we did at the lab was actually look at cell phone data in order to see really how a city moves and lives. And for instance, when you look at cell phone data now, you know, they you get signals from the entire population. And then you can learn very interesting things about really about traffic, something you couldn't capture just a few years ago. You can look at information about the social network, how we structure ourselves in cities. You can also look at uh, ask other questions that are very interesting about segregation. You know, is there a low income and high income? You know, do they? connecting the city in public space, do they talk to each other? And all these questions are very important to better understand cities and society. And finally, we can actually look at these questions with a lot of data in a more scientific way. And ultimately, the goals
1: and interdisciplinary structure of this work is similar to what we heard many of our guests call for in other interviews.
2: What we want to look at is the city through different angles. And so we've got people coming from architecture, from planning, from design, but also got a lot of people with more technical backgrounds. Think about computer science, engineering, but also mathematics and physics, and also people dealing with the social sciences, because you know, what's changing today in cities has to deal with, uh, ultimately, with quality of life in cities and with how we can look at the impact on, on all of us, on citizens.
0: Also, in keeping with many of our guests,
1: well, characteristically unique, if not divergent.
0: Carlo emphasized the aspirational
2: nature of planning while simultaneously making a case for urban science. When you look at urban science and also urban planning or urban design, I think it's very, very important to, to go back to the principles, the principles of research and science on the one hand and, uh, and of design. And for me, one of the most interesting distinction is the one that was given by Herbert Simon, a great researcher and scholar and Nobel Prize winner. And in his great book, The Science of the Artificial, Simon says, you know, the sciences look at how the world is, but design looks at how the world could be. And so when we look at this, when we, when we study cities, I think it's very, very important we develop an urban science in order to look at how cities work, to measure that, to be able to understand kind of the general law of urbanization. But at the same time, let's not forget about design, about looking not at how things are today, but how amazing they could be tomorrow.
1: So it sounds like Carlos definitely sold on the idea of urban science and the power of data to directly improve the lives of people in cities.
0: And he addressed the worries we've heard time and again on this show about losing sight of what really matters.
2: The people, people in the place.
1: People, people, are... Carlo identified this worry as part of an inherent trend in technological evolution.
2: Every technology at the beginning will create a divide. You know, we saw it for instance with cell phones a few decades ago. They, you know, they were very expensive, just if people had them, you know, they would increase in the gap between the have and the have not. But then if you fast-forward a few decades, what's happening today is that, you know, you've got almost more cell phones than people on the planet. You've got many places where people have cell phones, even if there's no running water. And then they become a very powerful tool to, to reduce the gap. And uh, I've seen myself, you know, examples of cell phones being used in Sri Lanka by fishermen, you know, they're able to get in real time the price of fish and not be ripped off when they get um, back after fishing. I've seen amazing things in Africa where you see basically mobile banking much more developed than in the United States, in Europe, in other parts of the world. Uh, So what I'm saying here is that, you know, every technology at the beginning starts at a cutting edge and by definition just a few people will have it and so we'll increase the gap but if we plan it right the technology later can actually help reduce the gap and so i think we should always look at the long-term impact of technology not the technology itself but the impact on society and how this technology can actually empower people and hopefully also help leapfrogging like those who are behind go ahead or those who are leading before.
1: So this idea of empowering people to leapfrog ahead, it kind of sounds like another idea we've heard before on this show, the idea of planning for equity, but this time it sounds a bit different. Right, Gabriella
0: talked about equity as an old question yet to be answered.
2: And of course, if we're asking new questions then, that is also helping to shift the discipline in new directions, and so that is exciting. But there are also old questions that will remain or are pervasive, and, and those are questions of equity, of justice, and, and we haven't quite answered those questions <laughs> yet. And So yes, we're moving in new directions, and I think we're all excited about that new direction and the possibility. And we're also very tentative and sort of waiting to understand what are the ways in which we need to be mindful and careful about the use of new methods.
0: And what about the role of mindfulness? Adopting the precautionary principle or exercising great caution when exploring the use of new methods?
1: Despite being at the forefront of new techniques and ways of thinking about the interactions between the physical and digital, what many might think of when they conceptualize urban science. Carlo gave us a great example from earlier days of planning from what can go wrong when new methods aren't questioned.
2: In the 20th century, architects and planners thought they had the solution. And if I think about planning in the 20th century, one of the images that come to mind is Le Corbusier, one of the most celebrated architects of the 20th century uh, in Paris presenting his ideas for, for the city that was in the 1920s, there's a famous picture of him, you know, with his hand unveiling this model of what is called the, the plan voisin, and I mean, his ideas for Paris were very, very simple. It was basically demolish the whole city, just leave Notre Dame and a couple of other things as memories from the past, and replace everything with new modernist towers. Well, if you look at that, it was the idea, you know, that architects and planner had the solution. They didn't have to ask anybody, they just had to implement it. And the Corbusier's case, uh, it was one example, and that has been applied later in the century. When you think about new cities such as Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, or Chandigarh in India, you know those cities were done in, in a kind of top-down way without engaging match citizens and just you know thinking that actually we had all the solutions. But if you look at the results, those cities were not too successful, they're still struggling to a certain extent, those cities and many other neighborhoods. And uh, and so I think today we need to take a different approach. I think as architects, as planners, as designers, we can actually propose designs, but then we should actually let uh, people and citizens decide which way they want to go. I think what we should do today is use design in what is called sometimes a speculative way. We should use different designs and propose different alternatives. And then you know have a public discussion in order to decide which way we want to, to go and what type of cities we want to build tomorrow. And if you look at that, then data science has an important role to play because data science means we can actually evaluate different scenarios or we can get data. But then in the end, it's not about us making decisions. It's about sharing all of this with people so that together we can decide what type of city we want. If you want, you can see this, if you take an analogy from natural evolution, you can see, you know, what we do almost is being mutagens, trying to produce mutations in in the physical world, in the built environment. And, you know, then sharing those mutation and, uh, and letting people decide what type of mutation they, they might want to, to elect. To me, big data is more a way to actually be able to measure, to measure both the present, but also to measure different options. And so it's some, a way that we can use in order to assess different possible mutations and you know different possible proposals and then let people choose with more information which way they might want to, to, to go. Mm. So I think big data can help us to make better design decisions, but not necessarily to be deterministic, but just to assess and evaluate different options Then people can choose. So it's not about using big data just to say, this is optimized, we should do this. So I think you know, big data can help you assess each variable and then let people make a, make a choice.
1: But I'm now remembering what Justin Steele said a couple of episodes ago about the really deep and often transparent problems inherent in this kind of data. They're working from data that comes from the existing world, and the existing world is one that is riven with disparate impacts. On the basis of race, the algorithms perpetuate those disparate impacts.
0: So we pose this question to Carla. When you work with datasets, are you treating them as purely numerical objects, or are you conceiving them as informed, influenced and biased by their creators as well as the environments that
2: created them. It's very important when we look at data to really see how it was collected, to look at possible biases. There's always biases and also it's very important especially when you do a map when you Plot the data. You know, there's always like uh, a lot of intentionality in you know, deciding which parameters you're plotting, which parameters you're eliminating. So that's very important. That they should always be kept as transparent as possible about the collection of the data and uh, the working with the data, so we can really better understand all the biases in it.
0: And here, Carlo began to talk about the way he
1: acknowledges and ideally corrects for the biases in the data informing his work. Part of that was publishing openly the decisions they have made along the way making the accompanying scientific paper open source.
0: And this led into one of Carlo's key points, the need for feedback loops in planning and design work.
1: This is the key to avoiding
2: the traps of top-down planning that Le Corbusier fell into. The idea of open source design, for me, is really about creating feedback loops. And so having a design which is not fixed and imposed top-down, but really allowing different input in order to enrich it. You know, Of course, the input will have to be different, the input for the structure of a building uh, will have to come from a structural engineer. You cannot allow anybody else to, to change it because the building might, might collapse. But what you can do is actually share the proposals and get feedback at different levels and then incorporate that. So this evolves a little bit like what happens with natural evolution.
1: And access to data, access to the knowledge of how to digest data, and most importantly, where our data is going and how it's being used is going to play a
2: huge part in helping planners realize better futures in their work. It's also very important that data is shared and beyond cities, what we're seeing today is a a big asymmetry. What we're seeing today is that we got a few states and large corporations that know a lot about us, but we know very little about them. So there's a big asymmetry. It is not just about cities, it's really about all of our lives. Our lives have been digitized. You know, what we, the traces we leave on, uh, on Facebook, on social networks in general, when we use a credit card, a mobile phone, and so on. All these traces are stored somewhere on the cloud. And, and we don't have much control on, on the information. So I think it's very important that today we engage with this issue of data. We have a discussion about this. Because there's certainly a problem today in the society we want to build tomorrow depends on the choices we will make in this space. And really, that is the crux of what we've been trying to get
1: at this whole episode, and even our whole series. It seems we're reaching a convergence point. With the rapid co-evolution of physical and digital. Where it becomes almost impossible to responsibly discuss one without understanding the interconnection.
0: And that is why Carla's work in urban science as a new discipline is so exciting. They both involve intentionally engaging with and using data in ways to solve these kind of issues
1: probably in ways that we have never done before. In ways that, as Carlo told us, leave space for moments that can actually change people's lives.
2: There's two ways to use data. And you know one way is really to enrich the possibilities we have. But sometimes people tend to use data as something that will actually predict where we need to go. The whole space of predicting analytics is that you use a lot of data, and then you know based on what you've done in the past, you, you decide where you will be tomorrow. And I think to me that's how we should not use data. We need to make sure that we don't kill serendipity through data. When we use big data and we try to kind of use the past in order to, to predict the future, if we do that, what we're doing, we're going to lock the future into the past. But that's not what nature does. You know, If nature had done the same thing, um, we would all still be unicellular organisms, probably super optimized but we not have gone out of that, that paradigm. And so if with the first wave of the digital revolution a few decades ago, it was really about digitizing the physical world. What you're seeing now is actually the convergence of the digital and the physical world. And then when you look at that at the scale of the city, what some people call smart cities or sensible cities, you know, really you need to combine these two worlds. So it's very important to look at both the computer science side and the planning side, and the two are really, they cannot exist independently. You cannot just look at this space just with a computer science mind or just with a with a planning mind. You really need to combine them to look at data. That is the glue that help us to better understand cities and uh, ultimately to understand how they work and to design them better.
1: And that is really what the new urban science major at MIT is trying to lay bare.
0: The new major is highlighting that solutions to the complex problems of urban planning will increasingly require an understanding of sets and the capability to integrate sophisticated analysis, visualizations, sensors, and artificial intelligence into planning.
1: So it is giving planners the technical tools they'll need, as well as computer scientists, the contextual framework to better shape their digital interventions and to be reflective of the possible negative externalities of their innovations.
0: So it all gets back to this interconnectedness between the physical and the digital.
2: As you look at urban science it really is about measuring the physical city, but it's more and more really about learning more about about us, about you know about, about, about humans, about, about citizens. Us.
0: We'd like to thank the Department of Urban Studies at MIT and Carlo Ratti for coming and joining us on the show today.
1: If you're interested, you can learn more about the ongoing discussions about urban science and the new undergraduate major by visiting either the Department of Urban Studies and Planning's website or the Electrical Engineering and Computer Science website, both at MIT.
0: That's dusp.mit.edu and eecs.mit.edu.
1: If this series has piqued your curiosity about the changing field of urban planning, and how the field of urban science is becoming defined. We encourage you to follow the DUSP social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, to keep up to date with new research and explorations of practice in the field.
0: Until next time.